0: Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. In your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 32 as we continue, continue our journey. Next Sunday, we have a baptism. We'll be wrapping up our series in Songs of the Saints. We've got a great baptism. Oh, wait, you know what? Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. We have about 100 young people about ready to get up and leave this service right now. As they head off to 4th, 5th, and 6th in junior high and high school, let's all stand up as they leave. Shake somebody's hand. Give a high five. Psalm 32, if you make your way to your Bible, here we go, one last handshake. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that, Ryan. The only person that shook my hand. What's going on, RBC? Uh, Listen, Psalm 32 this morning, Psalm 32, one of the great psalms uh, in the Bible that speaks about God's rich grace. I'm so grateful for this psalm, letting us know how, how rich God's grace is, his mercy is for us, and how he longs that you and I would actually remain in that sweet presence of of God and in fellowship with Him. It's Psalm 32, I want you to read the first four verses with me. It's King David who wrote this psalm. I'll give you a little background in a moment. David says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. In verse 5 he says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of Of my sin. This is a a kind of part two psalm, if you would. Though the first one comes in Psalm 51, and it's all surrounding both Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, this incredible moment in David's life where basically his life began to fall apart because of a decision that he made to dishonor God. It's a story that behind this psalm was the story of David and Bathsheba. It was King David who was uh, not with his men out on the battlefield. It tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that when all the kings went out to war, David stayed behind. And we see that David one evening went on the rooftop of his house, and he saw this beautiful woman who was bathing there, getting ready for bed, who knows what. And he sent her a note, and they had an adulterous affair that night. A month later, she sends a note. Uh, to the king, and it says, I'm pregnant. And David's like, That's not good. And from that moment, David began, instead of repenting and confessing, David began to go in a spiral downward uh, away from God and more and more destruction as he sent word to Joab saying, bring Uriah, her husband, back from the battle. It says, Uriah, how's the battle? How are the troops? How's the morale? How's the, you know, the, how's Joab doing? And, 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 and Uriah, who was really one of his special operation, uh, like servant men who protected the king's life. Uriah told them that the battle's going good, Joab, your servant is doing good, the men have good morale, and so David thought that he would, that, that Uriah would leave that night, go spend an evening with his wife, and then, gee, wow, she's pregnant, amazing. Well, Uriah's integrity didn't let him, so he went and slept with the king's servants just outside of, the, of, of his house. And the next morning, they told him, yeah, Uriah stayed the night with all the servants. And, and he said, Uriah, why didn't you go and, you know, spend the night with your wife? And Uriah told him, hey, man, all my buddies are out on the field. All my buddies are out with the, you know, the troops, they're in the trenches. Like, how, how would it be, it would be wrong for me to go and spend an evening with my wife? So David says, stay here another day. He gets him hammered drunk. They listen to Leonard Skittered. And, uh, and he's thinking, he's going to go home. And again, he goes outside, so David sends by way a note in his hand, a death sentence if you would, put Uriah at the heat of the battle back away from him so he's killed. Joab knows what's going on, Uriah is murdered, David takes uh, Bathsheba to be his wife, and it's only David, Joab, and, your, and, and Bathsheba who know what happened that particular event, and the Lord. And this is what's happening in David's life. There was a time period where he was trying to hide it, to cover it. He carried it and he carried it on as if nothing happened, because in his mind, how could the man who was called after the heart of God, the man who was after the heart of God, is what the scriptures call David, as a young man who served the Lord faithfully, how could he actually go and make such a, a commit such a violation and sin? Each one of us, by the way, has this potential to do. We all could be where David's at. So God sends a story uh, through the prophet Nathan. Nathan's like, hey, there's a rich guy who had all these ewe lambs and, and his buddies came over for a barbecue and he, instead of taking one of his lambs, he took his neighbor who had one little ewe lamb. It was like a special little pet. The whole family loved this, this lamb. He took his lamb away from him. He slaughtered it and he fed it to his friends. And David was so stirred up, he says, that man shall die and Nathan says, you are that man. And Psalm 51 is about his confession in that particular moment where he confessed his sin, he received God's forgiveness, he had fellowship restored with God. And in Psalm 51 he said, and I will teach sinners your ways. And Psalm 32 really is a fulfillment of that promise, that he teaches us the ways of God with humanity, grace, forgiveness, when you and I come clean and we don't hide it like he said in whose spirit is no deceit. David's actions were horrible, but yet God's grace met him, and, that, and this is his story. There's nothing too bad, by the way. There's no sin too great that God's grace isn't greater. Think about that, what King David had done. So this morning, if you're jotting some notes down, you could jot down the side of your Bible. You could write it in your little section of your, of your uh, bulletin. But this is what I want you to, to take away this morning. First, he begins with this incredible statement of joy, the joy of forgiveness, when he says, Blessed is he or she whose transgression is forgiven. That word blessed means to be happy or to be content. Last Sunday, we talked about that word blessed. Is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, right? Or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful. And it represented a person who was right with God, happy, content, fulfilled. And here the word actually means the context is the one who's forgiven, the one who's received mercy, the one whose sin is completely. Gone in their life. In fact, Paul quotes verse one and two in the book of Romans, chapter four. This incredible, you know, letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, uh, teaching us what God has done for humanity through Jesus Christ and His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. David essentially says the happiness of the one whose sin is covered. This assurance that God has taken His guilt away and forgiven Him, and it's only the forgiven who are truly blessed. is what David is saying, and truly happy. These words, transgression, sin, iniquity, deceit, they all mean different, they have different meanings and connotations here in the passage. Transgression means willful disobedience. God says, here's a line, do not cross it. A transgression is, I'm going to go ahead and cross it. Sin is really missing the mark, is literally what it means. To be a sinner means, here's the mark, here's the standard, and you got, you and I tried to measure up to that standard, and yet we missed the mark. We don't hit it all the time. And that's why the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Iniquity is the crooked nature within us, that sin nature within that, that, that when you and I give into it, it takes and it misses the mark or it transgresses God's word. And then the deceitfulness, boy, to cover it up and really not coming clean when he says, blessed is one who, who has no deceit in their inward person. David had been guilty of all of this. He had rebelled against the law. He had failed to meet God's righteous standard. He had allowed his crooked nature to control him. And he had deceitfully covered the whole matter up, for a year. And rather than confessing and repenting, he did what we often do. We seek to cover it up. That's been your challenge and our challenge from the very beginning with our first parents, Adam and Eve. God said, here's this beautiful garden. You guys can build hammocks here. You guys can, you know, uh, enjoy this incredible creation that, that I have given to you. They walked with God. They had fellowship with God. And he says, and here's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You could put a hammock in it, you could carve your names on it, like Adam loves Eve. She's like, sure, I'm the only girl around. Like, you're the only one for me, Eve. Yeah, clever, Adam. But you shall not eat of the fruit of that tree. The day you eat of it, you shall die. And that's what happened spiritually. And death physically came as a result of that one act of disobedience. Well, as soon as they ate, they recognized they were naked. They got some fig leaves and tried to cover themselves up, right? And uh, which is, I think is like a, a fuzzy little leaf, so they probably got a little itchy. And then they hid from God when they heard him coming. And, and God cried out to them, Adam, where are you? It's not like he was like, you really did it this time, Adam. Wow, way to go. Hide and seek champion, you know. It wasn't like God didn't know. It was him calling them for a confession. Adam, where are you? We hid when we heard you coming because we were naked. Who told you we were naked? And obviously the whole thing unfolds. And, And in that moment, they learn a very important lesson. As God killed an animal to cover them with the leather of that skin. And it lets us know from that moment that the only way for us to be covered of our shame and guilt and disobedience and sin is something has to be sacrificed. Of course, this foreshadowing of Jesus himself who gave his life for us on the cross so that we truly can be forgiven. How happy, though, when we are forgiven. How happy David was that his sin was covered. How hard he tried to cover it up. He got Uriah to come home to his wife, and that didn't work out. And even after taking Bathsheba to be his wife, he thought the matter would be over. They had a child, that child died, and David had been covering this up and going through this mess for over a year at this time. You see, God saw it all, and his desire, unlike what David thought, wasn't his destruction. It was to bring him into freedom. And when you and I sin, and when we disobey God, and we feel this level of guilt, and we're like, you know what? I think I want to ignore God. I think I'm going to stop praying. I think I'm going to stop going to church. That it's not, we get this, we believe this lie that God is actually out to punish us. He's actually getting us to come to a place of confession so that we could truly be free. When we rebel, we feel guilt, but then we choose to stay away from him. And now David discovers God's grace. Trying to hide from God is foolish. Trying to stiff arm the Holy Spirit when he convicts our hearts is ridiculous because God desires to bring restoration and true freedom. I think a lot of people get their ideas about God from a lot of like just culture, right, around us. Maybe we had harsh teachers or coaches or or Santa. There we go. How about some theology of Santa, right? He rewards the good little boys and girls, right? The naughty little boys and girls at RVC, you get a lump of coal in your stocking. And then we, we learn, I mean, talk about like a scary moment for a child, right? He's making a list. How often is he checking it? Twice. He's going to find out who's not or nice. And we think in these same ways, like God's got this list and he's adding it up. And you and I make commitments to God like, I will never do that again, again, again. Well, he's got a list. And he, Gabriel the angel, the archangel Michael, everybody's checking it to make sure that you are staying on track. It's true God knows all. And it's true we have consequences for our disobedience. But forgiveness God gives to those who come to him and confess. He's not tracking with a list to see how many times you've sinned. He's not counting them against you is what David said. Blessed is one whose iniquity is not counted against them. He's not tracking it. He's forgiven it. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Another way of saying verse 1 is, yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. One of the great freedoms that you and I have with God is he already knows where you've been. He already knows what you struggle with. He already knows when you've yielded to your flesh. And the great gift that you and I have is the ability to come clean, to come before him and say, God, this is exactly who I am and what freedom there is in those moments. The freedom that you and I have in those moments. I have a family member in recovery says one of the things they talk about in recovery is you're only as free as your secrets you know it's so great not a great statement you're only as free as the things that you're trying to hold back so that nobody else knows who the real person is that you are and yet with God well, he already knows it all and you can come clean before him he says the joy of such forgiveness, coming clean with the Lord, it brings a free freedom, it brings forgiveness, and the joy of being right with God. Then David goes on, verse 3 and 4, how it affected him when he ran and hid and tried to cover it up, as he describes number two, the path of forgiveness. This is, the, this is the journey that he took. And by the way, it doesn't need to take this long for you and I to experience this incredible forgiveness and God covering our iniquity and our sin when we choose to disobey him. The cover up. He says in verse three, when I was silent, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. What a a horrible description. Hey, how are you doing today? Oh, I feel like my bones are wasting away. Sounds like a horrible way to live life, right? And yet he was silent. It means that he stopped connecting with God. He can go to church, he can utter the words of worship. He could recite a song as they would read scripture together, perhaps, but his heart was a million miles away from God in that moment. He was, as the prophet Isaiah said, honoring God with his lips, but his heart was far from him. And we can get in that spot too. And David says, but no, I wasn't going to uh, respond to God. I wasn't going to yield to his conviction. That moment I crossed the line and committed adultery, felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life, I continued to go down this path, calling Uriah back. And Uriah didn't comply. Well, gosh, the next thing I'm going to do is have him murdered, and then I'll take his wife to be my wife, and no one will know. And what he said is when he was silent for that 12-month period, he said it was like I was wasting away inside He was no longer enjoying sweet fellowship with God and connection to God. And what happened when David refused to confess his sin, he describes the suffering that he went through under the heavy hand of conviction of God. Guilt is crippling for human beings, people who are ridden with guilt, maybe over something that we did in the past. It haunts people. Even people who have confessed Jesus and have been forgiven in their life, they still carry around this heavy guilt, as if like God is still keeping that list, if you would, kind of hanging it over our head. You know, like we do with people. You know, like I'll forgive you, but I can't forget it. And any time that you know you mess up again, like just mm. check that down. I know what's going on. Man, guilt just overwhelmed him. I find that even after someone has confessed, that guilt still hangs on. Then they continue to try to prove to God that they're really sorry. And it hinders them from really joining a relationship with Jesus. And sweet fellowship with God and his life and goodness. Because they still are in that prison of guilt when God has already opened up that prison door and said, Man, come out into the freedom and the blessing and the fellowship with God. I think a lot of us struggle with that. You don't need to forgive yourself, by the way, right? I think that that's an that's a, a, a unbiblical kind of point of view. Oh, I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Well, good, because the Bible never calls you to forgive yourself. So there you go. You know what it is? It's actually just going, I just need to accept the reality that God has forgiven me. God has forgiven me. Why would I or anybody else hold that key of, in the prison, saying, "Yeah, but yeah, the Creator of the universe, who's all perfect, He's forgiven you, but us unperfect people, not yet. We need to see a little bit more out of you." You know what I mean? And we do that to ourselves, man. What a what a crippling way to live life when God is forgiven. Jesus said it is finished when He was on the cross. I mean, the the debt of sin had been paid. Now we come, we repent. And we confess before God. As David journeys through this, his, his kind of experience of this heavy hand of God, conviction and guilt, by the way, is also a useful tool. Because it lets us know that there's something wrong. It's like pain in your life. Like, ouch, that hurt. You shouldn't do that again. Right? Your body, pain, our soul feels guilt. It should Spur us on to God as the Spirit of God comes alongside of us and convicts us. Man, don't block it. Don't excuse it. It's meant to bring us out into freedom, out of prison, and really get get us in that spot of of enjoying sweet fellowship with God again. And God will use that guilt in our life. But he said, when I was silent, man, he suffered. He suffered spiritually. He had this inward turmoil in his life. He lost the joy of his salvation, he tells us in Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. I think that uh, David looked at all the repercussions of his, his decision. It was probably that lost connection with God that became the most endearing to him. Like, I, I need God in my life. I want a closeness with, with him in my life. That fellowship with God suffered. He began to feel the effects of it physically and psychologically. He said, man, my life became dry like the the summer day in Fresno with no relief. is what his soul felt like inside. Ever felt that before? And yet David continued to journey down this silent path of, I'm not going to tell God yet. I'm not going to come before God yet. You know, there's no waiting period. When you and I sin and mess up and blow it, well, you and I have direct access immediately. You're, you're, not, you're not removed as his child. The connection that you have, the fellowship you, you and I have with God, that's what gets affected when you and I sin and continue to walk in that unconfessed sort of disobedient state. But it's a father saying, hey, come back. You're the one missing the sweet fellowship. You're missing my ability to guide and direct your life. And yet David was silent still. Do you know somebody today who is drowning in guilt? Do you know somebody that's wandered from the church because they just felt like that, boy, they just kept screwing up. They kept messing up. They kept blowing it. They couldn't get it right. And they just are so heavy, guilt-laden that they just feel like that God has given up on them. You know what the story tells us? Is that there's no sin too great. There's no person too far that God cannot reach. Wouldn't that be great for you and I to actually be, hey, listen, we have found a fountain of grace that in when we sin, our, his grace is greater. Let me tell you about this God of grace instead of continuing to walk in that heaviness of guilt. So David says, this was my path to forgiveness. I confessed my sin. There's no wait time with Jesus. He doesn't say, listen, I know that you're serious this time, but I want to check it out for a little while. I want to see if you're really serious about this. That's not who God is. The moment he decided to confess, forgiveness was already there, is what what David lets us know. He didn't just say, God, just forgive all this mess, but he took ownership. That ownership of our sin, it might lead you to go and confess your sin to somebody else that you've wounded or affected. But he began to call it out by name. And when you and I uh, go before God and we deal with, we, we, we kind of um, do some business with God, someone might say. We actually get serious and go, God, I want to confess this particular sin of disobedience to you. I want you to forgive me of this Naming them specifically. To know that daily we fall and that daily God has already made a way for you and I to be clean. As David found, there's no sin too great for God's grace. His grace is always greater. David had God months avoiding God, right? Covering up his sin. Because he confessed his sin, God forgave him. And here's the, here's the interesting thing. His, he forgave David, not because David felt bad about his sin, and not even because David prayed. But God forgave him because David confessed his sin and God promises to forgive when we sin. In 1 John 1, 1.9, in fact, one of the things I'm going to encourage you to actually read through uh, as, you, as you, uh, and memorize this week as you process this incredible grace that we've had in our lives. It says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our wickedness. You know when you and I truly understand God's grace, you know what happens? We learn to be quicker to go to God to forgive our sins. We learn that he's not Santa. We learn that he's not even the God that perhaps uh, some religious institution kind of instilled in your brain, that he's a God of mercy and a God of grace, and he is quicker to forgive A person who confesses, then a mother would snatch her own child out of a fire. That's the God of grace that we serve. Yes, there are consequences to our disobedience. And David wasn't uh, relieved of that. He had to deal with that. We all have to deal with our repercussions of our choices, don't we? But the greatest is the repercussion of, God, I'm distant from you. And he says, I want to clear it up. I want to forgive you of your sins. Come and confess it before me. So David says, this was my path to freedom and forgiveness, this confessing before him. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And he says, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David goes on and he talks about the blessings of forgiveness in verse 6 through 11. Read with me. He says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in a rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. And then he switches from you know, speaking to people, encouraging them, he starts talking to God in verse eight or verse seven. He says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble and you surround me with shouts of deliverance. And now God's speaking back to David in verse eight. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So David wraps up this psalm by talking about the blessings and the, the experiences that he has is amazing as he begins to understand what God wants to be in his life and our life and also gives some instruction and in some of the lessons that he's learned. And that's why he begins verse six with, Therefore. There, anytime you see the word therefore in your Bible, it's wanting you and I to go and grab the information that was just spoken of right before that, right? So you you ask the question like, what is it therefore? Well, the stuff that just came, and it's God's forgiveness, and the joy of forgiveness, and the path to forgiveness. And now he says, like, now, here's what you take from it. Here's all the blessings that God gives you and I, now that he is in the right frame of mind, like, God, you want me to be close to you. God, you've provided a way for me to be forgiven. We discover that God will hear us when we pray. What a great blessing of David experiences God's freedom and forgiveness. We experience this this understanding that God wants to hear us. He says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. When he speaks of godly ones, he's speaking of those who are loved by God and who love him back. Maybe every person who's committed their life to Jesus Christ would fit within that category. We discover that God wants to hear us through our prayers. And he will hear us in our prayers. And he encourages others saying, hey, go to God and experience his forgiveness too. This is that promise he made in Psalm 51 that I will instruct sinners in your ways. He says, guys, therefore, go to God and not only experience his forgiveness like I've experienced it, but stay close to him. Stay in a tight connection with God. Because he'll hear us when we pray. He wants to hear us when we seek him. He says, seek God, enjoy fellowship with him because he's near. And David knew what it was to be overwhelmed by these great waters that would flood his life. But he says, but I'm safe with the Lord. I love that he also mentions that God will protect us. And he begins to speak directly to God himself. He says, Lord, you're my hiding place. He wants to be David's hiding place. He wants to be the one that, that you and I turn to because this world is pretty jacked up, right? Is it just my world is jacked up? You guys all have a perfect world. You don't need a hiding place? Well, I'm just gonna share this for myself then. We all need a place of refuge. You know what David found? It wasn't like God says, okay, David, now you're good with me again come over here, here's this little physical location where you're going to be safe away from the enemy. It was him. He says, you're my hiding place. If you feel like you're in a spot in life where, man, I don't feel safe, I don't feel secure, I feel like that the floods are surrounding me and about to overtake me, David says, Lord, you're it. Time with God. You'll find that he's a hiding place in his word. You'll find that as you are overwhelmed with life that you literally can utter a prayer and it's not an eloquent prayer and it's not like a perfected prayer that you would write out so everyone would read it and be blessed. It's a God help me. Like a, like a, a gut level God, I need you. And David says, you're my hiding place. You can confide in God. You'll find that you are safe with him. I love what, what we learn in Psalm 91. That we can find refuge under the shadow of his wings. How wonderful are the little chicks in this room, us little chicks running around. There, there he is, his big old eagle wings, man, just pulling us in. I know that I confused animals just there, but stay with me. <laughs> You're like an eagle's gonna eat those chickens. Yes, tasty, finger looking good, but he's gonna pull them in, find safety there. The blessing of David coming clean with God is like, Lord, you've wanted to hear from me for the last 12 months. The blessing of coming clean with God is that I'm going to tell all my friends, like, hey, don't, you don't need to run and hide. You don't need to try to, like, get your crap together. Sorry about that. While I say, like, you know, there's going to be a baby riding around in our car. I'm like, yeah, so you need to stop cussing when you get mad in the traffic. You don't need to figure it out. You just need to say, God, you want to hear from me. And God, you want to be my hiding place. How different would the end of 2019 look if you began to actually make that a priority? Like, God, you're going to be my hiding place. I'm going to go to you every single day. I'm going to spend some time in your word every single day. I don't know where to start. Like my grandma said, start on page one. Or you can go out to our Connection Center. We've got all kinds of like Bible reading plans to go. I just want to get to know the God of this word. And I want to learn things like what I read today, that you are David's hiding place. God, I need a hiding place like that too. As Jesus told us, in this life you'll have trouble. He says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Hey man, I want to, I want to hang out with the one who's had that kind of victory. Oh, you've overcome the world? I think you and I need to hang out more. And that's what David describes. God, you are this hiding place for me. Security for us. If you feel discouraged this morning, he's a comforter to those who are beaten down and broken. He's that hiding place. You feel fearful. Lord, I'm going to rest in you. God, I'm going to trust in you. And I'm going to go and within that relationship with you, core to who you are as a human being, God, I need to connect with you this week. I need to be drawing near to you this week. As David said, pray to him at a time that he may be found. And that's right now, my friends, in your life, in my life. He also says this about the blessings of forgiveness. There's something else he learned. He says, it's God speaking. David, now that you've like woken up, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. How many of you guys struggle with knowing what you should do in life? Where you should go? What should happen next? Right? That's just like life. You talk to, like, young people, and they're like, oh, I'm not sure what I should do with my life. I'm like, wait till you're 49. <laughs> it's worse. You know what I mean? Like, you, none of us have it figured out. You know, you might have to go clock in and work somewhere, but I think we all have a level of, like, Lord, I don't know. What, what the heck am I doing? I don't even know what's going on. And Lord's like, I'll instruct you. I'll teach you in the way you should go. See, that's something David missed out on for 12 months. He missed out on, as, as he says, I'll instruct you with my eye. I'll guide you with my eye. What does that mean? A lot of our translations say, like, God is watching you. Thank you, Beth Miller, for telling us that. That's not what he's talking about. See, saying, I'll instruct you with my eye. It's like a kid looking to his dad. And he said, look to his dad. And his dad's eye is like, hey, this way, son. This way, child. That kind of relationship to God, the blessings that you learn that God wants to hear from you, you learn that God wants to be your protector from trouble, that God wants to guide you on the right path. We read a couple weeks ago in Psalm 23, didn't we? You lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Because God is good, because God is a father, because God has made a way for you tonight to know him and be enveloped in his love and our sins forgiven, He'll lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's a promise that God will lead us. But he says, but don't be like a horse or a mule. You know people like that? Like a mule, you can't get them going. And a horse is just like ready, fire, aim. You know what I mean? He's like, don't be like that. I don't want to put a bit in your mouth or a bridle around your neck. He will do that, by the way. That's what he did to David. Are uh, you going to listen now? Oh, watch this. You know what I mean? He says, you don't have to be like this animal that can't listen. It needs something in its mouth. He says that you and I are to be like a child who's looking to the eye of our Father giving us direction. But guess what? If you and I refuse to listen, he knows how to turn up the heat in our life. Remember Jonah? Hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach the message I'm going to give to you. And Jonah's like, oh, really? Watch this. Goes and gets on a boat. And God's like, all right. Boom. It's like a pond of water. But the Lord's just like, okay, let's stir it up. The guys on the boat are like going, dude, what's ha- what happened? Who is the not? Santa called. He said, we have a naughty one on this boat. And so they go to Jonah, and they're like, what should we do? He's like, throw me in the ocean, and it'll calm down for you guys. And they're like, no, 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 that's uncool. We're not going to do that. You paid a full price fare and all that kind of stuff. And then there's like, dude, we got nothing to God, forgive us for what we're about to do. They're like, huck Jonah over. And God takes a, a fish and swallows up Jonah. And on the third day, it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord. Hey, I ain't gonna take me three days to pray if I'm stuck in a smelly old fish. I wonder, I wonder um, have you guys ever been fishing before? Right? And it it's like going, oh, this is fun, right? And like, everything smells like fish forever. <laughs> And, and I wonder if Jonah's like, no, Lord, I ain't going to do that. Oh, yeah, Lord, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I don't need you to put a bit in my mouth. I don't need a bridle around my neck. Like, I'm going to look to your eye. See, God wants to guide us like that. David wants to be under God's care. He doesn't want to wander again. Don't we all? Yet when we do, we find like David, man, God's grace is always there to pick us up. One of the great blessings of forgiveness it's for David, that fellowship was restored. He, he realized that God wanted to guide him on the right path. God, and then he says in verse 10, 11, God will surround us with his love. I love that. Sinners experience such sorrow. And by the way, this is where they belong on a Sunday morning so that they might understand that they don't have to walk through life with sorrow, that there's no person that is too far for God to reach. They don't have to get their stuff together to show up. Jesus cleans his fish after he catches them. So you tell them, hey, come. We got smoking section. We got vaping section. Whatever you need, we got it. But then the Clovis Unified will come and arrest them, right, because they showed up with a vape. My point is that every sinner in this valley is welcome here, and I know that you know lots of them. To invite them so that they can experience this incredible grace that David experienced. See, David knew this sorrows, the the sorrows of a sinner. He experienced that for a season, but after his repentance, he'd also had a renewed experience of the steadfast love surrounding him. He said the love of God had enveloped me. I love that because if the enemy's true to his nature, he comes to us and says, You really sitting here today? You're really gonna worship God? I know who you are. I know the real you. I know the things you tell God you're going to stop doing, but you keep doing. I know the things that you think everyone doesn't know about, but I know the real you. And the love of God becomes like a shield about us, the mercy of God, that we have been covered in his love and surrounded by him. He said love and compassion of God and mercy, it surrounds us. So he compels us to be glad in the Lord and to shout for joy. Now, we're not like a shouting kind of church, but you could do it in your car. And you could shout when we sing. You know, when you're reading through the Psalms, whatever the exhortation is, just do it. If it says, be glad in the Lord, be glad in the Lord. If it says to shout for joy, shout for joy. David said everywhere he turned, he had a reason to shout something awesome to God. His shouts of deliverance were about me earlier in the Psalm. So what's your takeaway? What do you and I learn from this? Well, we learn, number one, is that when we sin, don't run from God. Run to Him. Go directly to God. I know, I know of a, a, a ministry leader of a major mission organization. He talked about how they went out to share Jesus with people, and he found himself uh, next to a strip club. And he found himself going inside, not to witness, but to be like an observer, and then he came to his senses and said, Lord, what the heck am I doing? And the Lord's like, What the heck are you doing? And he went outside and he said, Lord, forgive me. I can't believe that I succumbed to my temptation like that. And right outside, he led some guy who was about to go in to Jesus Christ. He surrendered his heart to Christ right there in the parking lot. That blows me away. I'd be like, Well, maybe I should go straight witnessing next week. Kind of a failure today, right? But he knows something about God's grace run to God. When you blow it tomorrow, you say, oh, I'm not going to say this or do this or think this about this person. And you do, you say, Lord, I just want to confess that right now. Is it that easy? It is that easy. Is it that cost? Is it that cheap? No, it costs Jesus' life to forgive us like that. But he says, come to me and confess and have your sins forgiven. He'll forgive us and restore us and he'll protect us and he'll teach us to walk in his ways. Here's a second lesson which takeaways. away. It's verse six, it says, hey, pray to him, you who are godly at a time when he may be found. What's David saying? He's saying, man, start walking with God. Get close to God. If you look at your life right now and you say, man, I don't feel that close to God in my relationship. What needs to change? What do you need to get rid of in your life to, to have that tight, close walk with him? Some more time with him in the morning, perhaps? Some less time on the, the social media, perhaps at lunchtime so you could get with God? restructure your life, reorient your life to the things that matter for eternity and your relationship with Christ is of utmost importance. You say, God, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. And when sin arises, you'll find that as David said, pray to him at a time he might be found, you'll find that that temptation comes, you'll be quicker to run from it. You'll also be quicker to actually run to Jesus when you fail and you fall. You'll experience his mercy and his love. Here's the next step for you to take this week. Psalm or 1 John 1, 9. For if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If there's ever a verse a Christian needs to memorize, it's that one. It's a Christian bar of soap. Because the devil will come and pound you saying, you sitting on stage, you sat in church, you serving kids, you make coffee, you went to church on a Sunday morning. Man, what a mess you are. And you take that verse and you go, hey man, He's faithful and just. Not for my faithfulness, it's his faithfulness. And maybe this morning you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't know him today. Man, I can't think of a better moment in your life than to say, God, I'm done. I'm stop running. I'm gonna surrender to you right now. I'm gonna give my life to you. You don't have a relationship with him. Come to him today. Confess your love or your sin to him today and, and experience his love and his mercy for your life today. Ask him to come into your life. What do I need to do to do that? Well, you need to admit to him you're a sinner. You need to ask him for forgiveness and be willing to turn away from your old life and begin to walk with him. You believe that Christ died for your sins on the cross and he rose from the dead and you receive him into your life as Savior and Lord. That's what it means to become a Christian. You have this moment in your life where you actually say, God, I want to open up to you. That's you this morning. We'd love to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you for your love, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this passage that lets us know about your mercy and your love for us, your forgiveness for us. And Father, I pray for each one one of us, God, that you would help each one of us, God, to, as verse 6 declares, to pray to you at a time when you may be found, which is right now in our life, God. We have this open opportunity to know you, to walk with you, to get close to you. And I'm praying for my friends, each one, as they would this week, God, make it a priority to get closer to you, to know you, to open their Bibles, God, to hear from you in your word, to talk to you and worship you, God, to shout, Lord, joyous, victorious statements that are true about them and about all of us that we find in